that again. We fight a constant battle in our lives between the trust God versus do-it-myself category. Now, I, I have to confess that I'm big on the do-it-myself category. Um, I, I like to have control. Hence, there, that's the whole reason I would like the clicker in my hand, because I want to change my own stinking slides. Uh, you know, I mean, I want control of my life. And most of you do as well. Um, I've shown this before, but it's been a number of years. But when our family goes on vacation, we have an itinerary uh, for the vacation uh, because, you know, when you're traveling with five children, seven, you know, different people do it different ways. I, I know like uh, Greg Rogers and his family, they just throw a hunk of something in a van and take off with no plan and have a great time. And that's wonderful. But our family, because I'm a, a little bit obsessive, we plan things. So this is, uh, this is the itinerary for a, a trip our, our family took a number of years ago to the Grand Canyon. Um, so you've got day one here, our flights, our rental car, we're going to tour Phoenix, where we're staying, and what time we're going to the baseball game with all the confirmation numbers, all the time, everything else. Day two, we're going to go through all of this, so it's going to be fun. Just hang on. Day two, we're going to eat breakfast at the hotel. We're going to drive to the Grand Canyon, which, by the way, is five and a half hours and only 326 miles. On the way, we're going to drive by Lake Powell, which is four and a half hours, 276 miles. Uh, then another two hours or 97 miles to the Grand Canyon. We're going to tour the Grand Canyon in the afternoon, see it quick because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, lodging at the Grand Canyon, here's where we're staying. We have dinner reservations at the Grand Canyon Lodge at, at this time, day three. Breakfast is not included, so we need to take some bagels uh, to feed everybody. <laughs> we're going to tour the North Rim. We've got to check out by 11, but we're not going to leave. We're going to stay around and tour for a while. Then we're going to go uh, and drive to... You, you get the point. Anybody want to go on vacation with me? <laughs> uh, actually, we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Um, but there's an illusion here that we're in control. So let's go back to day one just for just a second. Uh, I f we're going to fly in. Now, there's some assumptions here, right? The assumption is the flight's going to be on time. Then about the fourth line down, you see that we're going to do car rental at Fox Rent-A-Car. I have negotiated a great deal at Fox Rent-A-Car for a van, a minivan, because when you're traveling with seven, you know, a, a four-door sedan is not going to work. So we've got a minivan, i got a great price, I go to Fox Rental Car, I'm standing at the rental car line, I don't know if the kids remember this, this is a number of years ago, standing at the rental car place, and I'm about to sign everything, and the guy goes, by the way, just remember, you cannot take this car out of Arizona. To which I say, are you kidding me? Shouldn't that be in bold letters somewhere on your website that you can't take this car out of Arizona? I said, what kind of rental car place? You know, I'm arguing with the guy. What kind of rental car place? So, I mean, we got uh, lodge. you know, we're planned. So we got lodging in Utah. We're going to Nevada. So it, I'm standing there thinking, well, what if I just take it out of Arizona anyway? I mean, are they going to know that I take it out of Arizona? And then I start thinking, well, maybe they have some sort of tracking device on the van. Um, but, you know, I'm, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm going through all this in my head, trying to figure out what am I going to do. And because, you know, you can't really negotiate a great deal when you're standing in the airport with other rental car places. 
it's not your best option to negotiate. So, plus I got five kids and a wife in the hallway waiting for me to come back with, you know, I'm only on line four of the itinerary and things are getting, are gone. Well, so uh, fortunately, thrifty rental car, <laughs> you see I changed the itinerary there, thrifty rental car uh, matched the deal, which was very sweet of them. And I've used thrifty a bunch since then because of their uh, niceness to me. All of this to say, we operate in an environment where we predict what's going to happen and then we plan to meet our predictions. That's the way most of us work. Predict, plan. Predict, plan. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, none of us knows the future. Our predictions don't really matter. I mean, think about 9-11. Everything changed on that day. Every prediction that was before that day on the financial markets and everything else, gone. God calls us not to predict and plan, but to prepare and then participate. So we prepare for whatever it is God has for us, and then when God moves, we move. We participate with him. It's like a surfer going out on the ocean, and the waves are coming in. The surfer has no control over the waves. What they do is they get ready, they paddle out, they're on their board, and when the wave comes in, they ride it. 700 years before Christ was born, a young minister comes on the scene. He's in the nation of Judah and around the city of Jerusalem during a very prosperous time in the nation's history. He has this remarkable call experience, this remarkable thing where after a, a, a king's death, the prosperous king dies. He's in the throne room of heaven. And he sees the Lord God Almighty lifted up. And the, the, the train, the, the robe of God fills the whole temple, the area. And by the way, it's, it's, it's a picture. I'm not going to get into this. But there's a picture of a heavenly temple that is the reality of an earthly one. And so he sees this, and he sees angels going around the throne seeing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are filled with your glory. And he is utterly wrecked because he realizes, wow, every word I say is unclean. Every, and I'm, I'm living among a people that are unclean. I, I'm, I'm ruined. And an angel goes to an altar and takes a coal from the altar and comes and puts it to his lips. And if you remember back, the altar of incense was, was, was made up of coals from the sacrifice pit where they would shed the blood of animals in order for the forgiveness of sins. And then they would take the coals from that and put it on the altar of incense, which then allows their prayers to go up before the Lord. It's all a picture of a coming one. But his lips are pure, and then he hears the voice of the Lord saying, who, who, who shall I send? Who will I send? Who's going to go and be my spokesman? And of course, you know, this young minister, I mean, 
Think of the scene he's had. We would all volunteer. Here am I. Send me. We love this passage, don't we? Have you ever read the verses that come after that? Lord says to him, okay, here's your message, young prophet. Go to the nation and tell them, but they're never going to understand. Show them, but they're never going to perceive. Their hearts, you, you preach, but their hearts are going to get calloused. They're going to be ever seeing, but never understanding, ever hearing, but never receiving, until they get hard. Wouldn't you want to say, wait, wait, wait a minute. I want a hopeful message. And so the young prophet says, well, how long do I have to give him this message? And God says, until the land is ruined, till the buildings are torn down, till there's nothing left but a stump in the ground. Fifty years this guy goes out and proclaims this message through four kings till he's finally, according to tradition, killed by a, the most wicked king of the nation of Israel, Manasseh. Fifty years he is faithful in his ministry. At the very end of that passage where God calls him, he says, I, until the land is decimated, Till there's nothing but a stump left, but out of that stump is going to come a spring. The hope of Israel. The one through whom I'll not only revive justice and save the world, the young, I know you know by now that the, we're talking about Isaiah. His name means the Lord is salvation. In a hopeless time, he proclaims hope, not for his generation, but for the generations to come. He's known as the Messianic prophet. His book, 700 years before Christ, if you read certain passages of it to someone who doesn't know that it's from the Old Testament, they'll be sure it's talking about Jesus. This morning, I want to talk about the cross of Christ. I want to talk in the days ahead about what do we have to proclaim to the world? What is the message that we have? And of course, we have the resurrection, but the resurrection follows the cross. Without the cross and the forgiveness, the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without Christ's broken body, we, we don't have unity in life. We have a message to proclaim to the world, and I believe it's a message of hope, by the way. Two weeks ago, a new book came out called The Benedict Option. In the 6th century A.D., St. Benedict looked around at the Roman culture that had disintegrated around him, that had become really hopeless, and he determined that the only thing he could do was withdraw from the culture. So he established what became known as Benedictine monasteries, which isolated priests and nuns from the world. 
Now, Benedictine monasteries are, are, are credited with really saving literacy and a lot of the message of the gospel through the Dark Ages until on the other side of the Dark Ages, the church comes out. Now, there are always those battling within the culture to try and change things, but a lot of what uh, was saved as far as the scripture is concerned and the copying of scripture and literacy is attributed to the Benedictine monasteries that lasted for hundreds of years. The author of this book is positing this. He is saying that we don't know it yet, but we've lost the culture. He's saying it's not a matter of if we lose the culture, it's a matter that we have lost the culture. And he is in this book saying it is time for the church to consider the Benedict option of withdrawing from culture in order to save a remnant of the church for the future. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I still believe that the power of the cross is for the salvation of those who believe. I do believe that we're, we're battling a culture that is post-Christian. But I, I believe if there is any hope for our culture, it is in this message, Christ died for our sins. Seven hundred years before Christ was born, this prophet Isaiah comes on the scene. And I just want to walk us through Isaiah chapter 1 just for a moment to show you that he, he shows us the problem, he shows us the solution, he shows us the hope, all in this one, one passage. So the first thing is, the problem is rebellion. We are rebels. Now, he's talking to the nation of Israel, but he's really talking about mankind in general. You know, when you, when you look at prophecy, you look at what the prophet is saying to the people around him, but you also look at different levels. For instance, Isaiah is speaking specifically to the nation of Israel, nation of Judah, but he's also talking a future context. It's the nature of prophecy that it works on different levels. So here's what he says in Isaiah 1-2. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Rebellion is this resistance to authority. Rebellion is this revolt against authority, resisting controls. It is the idea that I can do it all myself. Who, you know, I'll do it all myself. The, the, and even if we, we think we're good, then many times we, we say, I'll do it all myself, but the little part that I can't do, then I'll ask God's help for. I, I'll, I'll include him in on the things I can't handle. God, I can handle this one. Just take a seat. And then we bring him in on the things. Oh, this one, that's too big for me. God, where are you? It's still rebellion. It's related to pride. It's the refusal to submit to God's authority. It's a spirit which leads men to do wicked things, which hurt God's heart. I mean, think about this. Do we believe in a, in a God who is all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving? I mean, that's the kind of God I believe in. 
if I've got a God who's all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving, then why would I ever want to do anything on my own? I mean, he's got the wisdom, he's got the power, he's got the love. Because we have this pride aspect in our lives at work all the time. Isaiah 1.3, the next verse says, The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manager, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. I think about what he's saying for a second. He's saying, even an ox, even a donkey knows who the master is, but you guys don't. I mean, you can translate this a little freer if you want to. You're, you're, you're dumber than a donkey. Substitute your own words um, there. Um, but to say we, we don't even recognize who our master is. It's a picture of a people who think they're in control, but they're not. Listen, control's an illusion. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? You think you're in control, but you're not. I'll just give you an example. You had nothing to do with where you were born, what family you were born into, what nation you were born into. I mean, all of those things were totally out of control, but it determined the course of your life in unbelievable ways. I mean, at the very basic nature, you don't have control over where you... And you may say, no, no, I didn't have control over that, but I've had control ever since. You, I mean, really, think about the life events that have shaped all of us that are out of our control. God is saying, God is saying, I am in control. You're not in control. I'm in control. Quit rebelling against my control because rebellion is like witchcraft. It's that kind of sin. And you think, well, how is rebellion like witchcraft? Witchcraft is trying to manipulate spiritual things for your own good. Rebellion is the same way. I'm trying to manipulate circumstances and spiritual entities for my own good, for my own ends. It's moving against God. And, and many of us would say, well, look, I, I, I used to be like that, but I'm not any longer. I, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. I got baptized. I, I go to church. The author of Hebrews, we looked at Hebrews a couple of years ago. The author of Hebrews is talking to followers, those who are part of the church. And in Hebrews, he says, as has just been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Now listen, who is the author of Hebrews talking to? I just told you so. You've got to wake back up. Come on. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Hebrew believers, but ultimately believers. So he's saying, listen, don't be like those way back when who rebelled in the desert. In other words, he's saying to believers, don't assume control for yourselves. Don't rebel. And he goes on and says, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He, he, 
I've heard people at times say something like this. You know, I, I believe in God, but man, wouldn't it be great? I could really be a person of faith if I just saw Jesus. I was back there during that time. I saw him walk on the water. If I could have seen Jesus feed the 5,000, if I could have seen Elijah do this or whoever, the author of Hebrews is saying, there is no generation on earth who saw more miracles of God in spectacular ways. I mean, they, these people went through an, a sea on dry land and saw the greatest army in the world annihilated behind them. They did nothing but walk. And yet they turned right around and rebelled. You see, it's not, it's not miraculous stuff that's going to change your heart and life. We have a rebellion problem that needs to be taken care of. There's an article just this past week in Charisma magazine. It's by an author uh, named uh, Chelson Vicari. And she writes in a book, this article is based on a book, Distortion, How the New Christian Left is Twisting the Gospel. And in it, she talks about how faith and doctrine have been hijacked in our day and age. And she identifies three different types of evangelical Christians that she's observed. The first are couch potato Christians. Couch potato Christians. These are Christians who uh, adapt to the culture by just staying silent on the tough culture and faith discussions. Typically, this group will downplay God's absolute truths by promoting the illusion that neutrality was Jesus' preferred method of evangelism. Listen to me again. These are people who have chosen to stay silent and that say, you know, Jesus was neutral on these issues. He really didn't speak to issues of his day. Now, I would challenge you to re-examine where Jesus spoke and what he said. He chose his battles, but he definitely confronted the issues of his day. And listen, we all face this, don't we? Don't we? I mean, you know, I see, I see stuff on Facebook, for instance. And I, I, I want to just, I want to respond. I want to challenge it. Because I know this is not only not true, but this will lead to that person's destruction. But I know also that Facebook is not an environment to fight the battle. But then I'm worried that someone's going to read this person's post and think this is truth. And so I'm always debating in my mind, do I enter the fray or do I stay out of it? We all fight this battle. Now, I've started to opt for private messages. That's just what I'm doing. You can do whatever you want or not. But I'm, I'm starting to opt in by private messaging the person until they, you know, unfriend me. Which is probably only a matter of time. I don't like anybody who disagrees with me. Boom, I'm taking them off my list. Which is fine in and of itself. I'll just make up a fake name and go back in. Anyway, um, no, I'm not going to do that. That was supposed to be funny. Where am I? Second point she says, is cafeteria-style Christians. This group picks and chooses which Scripture passages to live by. 
opting for the ones that seem best to jive not only with their culture but their own desires. I'm going to pick this one. I like God is love. I like the truth that God wants me to be happy. So I'm going to pick these two. I'm going to avoid the whole judgment, works of the flesh. God says, turn me over, turn us over to our own sin. I'm going to avoid those. I don't like them. This past weekend, I was, at, uh, I was teaching at a retreat over in North Georgia, um, a CFO leaders retreat. And so, you know, you go to these camps, and they've got like a cafeteria style. Last night um, at dinner, they had uh, four different types, four or five different types of cobbler like peach, cherry, blueberry, I don't even, apple. I'm just all, it was just overwhelming. I'll take that cobbler and that ice cream. I saw some people in our group opting for dessert before they ate dinner. They wanted the cobbler that bad. I'm worried I'm going to eat too much and then not have room for the cobbler, so I'm going for the cobbler first. That, we want that with our lives. I'm going to choose this verse, and I'm going to choose that verse, and I'm going to dismiss that verse to say it's cultural for that time. I'm going, to, I'm going to choose. Because doesn't God really, isn't his ultimate goal for my life that I be happy? God made me like this, so there must be a reason I'm like this. So if he really wants me to be happy, he wants me to be like the this that he made me. Final category is convictional Christian. These are the people in the face of culture's harsh admonitions. These, these people refuse to be silent. They want to follow after Jesus. They compassionately, let me say this again, they compassionately talk about love and grace and the truth about who God is. Not harshly, not with judgment, but with compassion. The problem, again, is this. We, we've all got this seed of rebellion in our hearts, and if we're not careful, it will spring back up. It has to be put to death. The flesh does. And only by the power of the Spirit can the fruit of the Spirit, as we read this morning, really manifest itself in our lives. So our need is of repentance. We need a change of mind. See, here's the idea. In your mind, you just can't help it. You want to go your own way. That is the way the sin nature works in your head. It just, every opportunity you have, it says, go my way, go my way, go my way. Instead, what we need is a change of mind, right? We need to have the mind of Christ, which follows after God's plan, God's purpose. So repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means change of mind or change of direction. We have this need. Isaiah 1 15 and following says, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Wait, what? What is God saying here? I mean, 
when I pray, isn't he obligated to hear my prayers? God says, listen, you're going through religious motion. This is what he's saying to the nation of Israel. You're going to the temple, you're making sacrifices, you're going through the religious motions, but that's not enough. Because I desire not sacrifice, but the heart. And if your heart is changed, then you're going to do other things that are justice-oriented. He's not giving him one legalism for another legalism. I, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. He's not saying, okay, I'm not going to hear your prayers because you're not doing feeding these people and taking care of the oppressed. And He's saying, you're not doing these things because your heart is not for me. Your heart is not turned toward me. And what you need is a change of direction. And here's the great news. God saves rebels, of which you are one. He saves us. He, he through the cross, has purchased our freedom. See, rebellion has to be taken to the cross. It has to be put there. The price that had to be paid for our rebellion is that God himself had to die on a cross. Later in Isaiah, he prophesies this. He says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for what? Our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us, of us all. Praise be to God. The cross is the greatest event in human history because everyone's sin was laid on God that day and he was crucified for us. We need repentance. We need a change of direction. We need a new mind. And the invitation is this. You can be renewed. You can be re renewed. You see, here's the great thing about repentance it's not just the removal of evil deeds. Well, that's pretty good news in and of itself. But that's not where God's plan stopped. Like on the cross, he removed our evil deeds. No, he's renewing us. There is an irresistible invitation to be renewed in him. Back in chapter 1 of Isaiah. One of my, I just love this verse. I can hardly read this verse without crying. Where God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God's saying, come, let's talk this over. Give me a chance. Let's reason together. You present your blood-red hands to me, and I'll make them white as snow. You see, the, the great news of the gospel is this. I don't care what you've done. 
You know, we think in levels of sin, right? Well, my sin was really not that bad, so it really wasn't a big cleansing. <laughs> or we think, oh, my, just, my sin is so bad, God could never cleanse me. You know, to God, sin is sin. Sin is sin. It's all the same. A number of years ago, I heard this guy speak, and he was... Uh, He'd become a Christian, but he, he was a, he'd made a fortune in carpet cleaning. Um, and so he had a lot of guys who were working for him. And so he went into one place, and he was with one of his workers, and the floor, the carpet was still dirty, and they had cleaned it. So he called the guy in, and he said, you know, what, what is this? guy goes, I don't know. And the guy who owned the company said, did you guys clean this carpet? The guy goes, yes. And then the owner again says, what is this? And the guy goes, I don't know. And the owner goes, okay, this is dirt. And until we agree that dirt is dirt, we're not going to get anywhere. And so it's always stuck with me. Dirt's dirt. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter the level of the dirt. It's still dirt. Until we agree and call what we do sin and that we need renewal, come, let us reason together. That's like saying, come, what is this? Let's reason about it. It's dirt. It's sin that's in our lives. Receive in faith what God did for you on the cross, the resurrection to new life, and that he has a plan for your life. Because faith is a rebellion killer. If I'm in faith with God, then I'm not rebelling against him because I'm not trying to go my own way. I'm walking in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because I'm walking in rebellion. But God gives us the opportunity to change and to be renewed. The result of this message is either restoration or rejection. Verses 19 and 20 in Isaiah, he says, If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow, that's quite a stark contrast, right? Hey, if you choose this direction, you're going to eat the best of the land. But if you choose this direction, devoured by the sword. Forgiveness or judgment, it's your choice. God, by the way, of Isaiah, set before his people, his children, a choice. Now, Isaiah is going to get this horrible news later that people, he's going to keep presenting and presenting and presenting and presenting this choice, and the people are always going to make the wrong choice. That was his ministry. But I believe, I believe, that God has given us the opportunity to change. 
He presents before us life and death. And we get the opportunity to choose. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And he quotes from Isaiah, By his wounds we are healed. What we need is healing. Now, I, I've talked about... The, the best illustration for me is this whole deal with my shoulder and rehab that I went through. Um, Adam keeps telling me I quit too soon um, because I don't have everything I need, but I feel like I quit way late. Because after surgery, when I would go to rehab, that dude would stretch my shoulder to the pain point every single time. For those of you who don't know, I, I fell skiing, broke my shoulder, got 10 pins, put in surgery, tore a muscle. They had to repair it, so I had to go to rehab. And the guy would um, do this, these motions where he would take my arm and just press it as far as it could go. And the pain was so incredible, I, I, I would have tears coming down my face. I want to go home and tell my wife, that dude is so mean to me. He hurts me every time. Why? It was for my good. So that I would, I mean, I could have stopped at any time, but the rest of my life, I was going to walk with a limp, so to speak. I was, and I may still a little bit, but the point being this, God has a plan for us. God has a plan for us. It's not for our happiness. It's for his kingdom's sake. We get to participate with him. Now, we get the benefits of being a part of that, but it's not really for us. It's for Him and relationship with Him. For from Him and to Him and through Him are all things, according to Romans. The cross is the means by which this takes place. He bore our sins on His body on that tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. It says in John 3, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, reference to the cross, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. We have the opportunity to walk in life. In Isaiah 1, at the end of that chapter, he says this, I will restore your judges as in days of old, your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. But rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. For God so loved the world, he gave his one an only son, that whosoever believes in him might have life. It's all about the cross of Christ. We have the opportunity to receive life. And God is calling us continually to a life that follows him. Here's what I want to say to us today. Really, I'm trying to say this, and we're going to say it in the weeks ahead. The cross was not something that was just done for us. 
so that we could get our sins forgiven and we could go to heaven. That's part of it. But the cross was done so that every day we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So when we sing, lead me to the cross, when we say, lead me to the cross, this is not just a salvation message. This is a day by day, pick up my cross daily, follow him, live for him. I, I want to say this gently. There are some of us sitting here today who are followers of Jesus Christ, but we have some decisions that are facing us that rather than leaning into God, we're relying on our own wisdom. We're saying to God, I don't really need you in this. We're saying, I, I can handle this myself. Besides, if I do listen to you, you're, you may tell me something I don't want to do. Hello? People, that's called rebellion. You can paint it. Dirt is dirt. It is what it is. We need to every day go to the cross of Christ to say thank you for the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. May my rebel heart be put to death as it raises its ugly head in my life. I want to choose life every moment of every day. I don't ever want to be like the nation of Israel who saw the most miraculous things ever and hardened their hearts and died in a desert. I want to be a life changer, a world changer. But all I've got is the cross of Christ. Paul says it. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Thank you for the cross, Lord. We're rebels. We need repentance, renewal, and the choice before us is restoration or rejection. May God lead us to walk in life every moment of every day. Lord, we thank you for your life-giving blood on the cross. Lord, I thank you that I am who you say I am. That through the cross of Christ, I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you that I can have that I have the mind of Christ. I thank you that the Spirit of God indwells me and infills me. And so, Lord, today, I pray for everyone who's here who has been to the cross, received the forgiveness of sins, calls you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would walk in who we are. Not in our own strength, our own might, but by your power. That we would never boast in anything except the cross of Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who have never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as the one who rules their life and forgives their sins. And I pray, Lord, that today will be more than just stories. Today will be a change, a 
change of mind, a change of direction as they receive the truth of who you are. Lord, we thank you for the cross and for your life in us today. Lord, we thank you that everything we need has been provided by you. And I pray right now as we pray for one another that, God, you would flow through us to touch people's lives. Understanding that it comes through your cross, it comes through your life, it comes through your resurrection. May we walk in faith at these moments ahead. In Jesus' name. Stand up with me if you would as you do. Ministry teams, if you would come to the front. If you're here today and you need someone to pray with you, you need prayer for healing, you need prayer for direction, you need prayer for healing of a relationship, uh, maybe you need a lifting of a burden, maybe you're here today and you would say, I want uh, Jesus to be the one who rules my life and forgives my sins. I want to come to the cross for the first time. I want to ask you to just, if you need prayer, Mitch is going to lead us in this uh, song. And as he does, just come and let God's power flow uh, during these moments ahead. Mitch, lead us in.